the Bible there, Genesis uh, chapter 29, as we look at this new series um, that I've entitled Jacob the Man, Israel the Nation, because this section we're in, these 10 chapters we're in, are all about Jacob and God forming and breaking and molding and making this man that, that we will one day... We will one day see all throughout the Old and the New Testament, this guy is going to be named the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, so he's a very, very important person in the Bible. Again, we're, we're looking at him. And uh, last week we learned about more about Jacob, the con man, and his, his upbringing from his mother on and that whole manipulative family. Remember, they named him when he was born Heel Catcher or his name would be like trickster, or I've called him a con man, because that's really what, it is, what he is here. He's just like his father and his father's father. And this family has this, this whole, they're teaching one another. Again, this is a great uh, lesson for us as parents, and not so much me anymore with my adult kids, but maybe if you've got little ones, um, really important for you to understand your kids learn by what you live and the things, the examples that you set, and that's really what's happening in his life, because We've learned that, uh, that God is taking this man that's such a trickster and a con man. He, he, he lied to his father, dressed up in false clothes, you know, in the sheepskin, and lied to his dad, and then he, then he stole his older brother's birthright. I mean, he's a con man through and through. But in this chapter, we're going to see how God is beginning to shape and work in his life. And I hope that you'll see two things. One, that God is going to use people to help mold and shape him. Other people are going to come in his life and they're going to be a problem for him and he's going to have to work it out. He's going to have to figure it out. And as he's doing that, God is working in his life. Now, I've entitled this section here, Jacob and God's Boot Camp, because this is probably one of the more difficult things in his life. The next couple of chapters are hard for him. But we see him in boot camp, and I, I, what I mean by that is, you know, boot camp, military boot camp. If you go there, I don't, has anyone in here ever gone to military boot camp? Can I see your hands? So there's a few of you. It's a really nice place, I understand, where they feed you really well, and you stay on your own little bunk, and no? It's supposed to be a very difficult place where they just tear you down. You get your hair cut off. You all look the same. They, they dress you down language. They yell and scream at you to, to get everybody kind of in line and submit, submitted. So God is going to do not quite that in, in his life, but he's really going to take him through this tough time to shape him, to mold him. That's what we're seeing in these chapters because he's a con man. And in this chapter, the con man gets conned. That's what this chapter is all about. The swindler is going to get swindled by his uncle, another family member. This family, it just goes deep into this family. They're manipulators to the core. And, and it's his uncle Laban that, that outwits him here. So Jacob has a lot to learn. And here's, the, here's my first point before we even get to the prayer. In our lives, when we come to Christ, we have a lot to learn. In our lives, when we come to the Lord, God has to break us a stuff. And I don't know how far he's got to break you. We all come to the Lord in different places with different things in our background. But God wants to deal with that stuff. God is too loving to allow you to be who you are. He wants to make you into the image of his son. That's the goal, to be more Christ-like. So how does he do that? <laughs> you go through boot camp. 
You, you get dressed down. You, you get called out. You, God confronts you in your sin so that you'll sin less and less and less in your life, and you'll become more and more and more like Jesus. So this man that God has chosen, Jacob, he's chosen him, uh, and, and his sons are going to be the sons that go on and, and become the nation of Israel, the 12 sons of, of Jacob. So that's why he's so important. That's why God's working in his life. But we'll see God's grace in his life. I think it's really important here. But like Jacob, God has to break us. So I hope you see that as we go through the story. You'll see how, how God's doing things, hopefully in your life as well. I've got a scripture. Let me throw this up here. Hebrews 5.8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. We hate that. We all hate that. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to struggle. We, we want the easy road. Come to Christ and you'll be healthy and wealthy and wise. And you, That's not true. That's not true. That life is to be lived and life is to be learned from. And God is going to teach us through suffering. Jacob is in God's boot camp. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word tonight, and before we, we read it, we just want to honor you. We want to ask, God, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would help us, Lord, uh, as we study this portion of Scripture. I pray that it would be more than just a story to, to those of us here tonight, and those of us that are listening on the internet or watching on, on the web, that we, Lord, would understand that there's application for us, that everything written in the Word is for our example and learning and growth. And so help us, Lord, to apply this to our lives tonight. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, in the closing of the last chapter, we saw this sneaky behavior again that uh, Jacob had learned from his mother, and uh, very interesting it came out in the promise. I finished with this last week. I just want to show you this again real quick. It came out in the promise. God's promise back in chapter 28, verse 13. Notice it real quick. These are God's word to Jacob. This is God's commitment to a man. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And then at the end of verse 13, I will give to you, you your descendants. So the Abrahamic blessing, uh, Abrahamic blessing has gone from from the father, Abraham, to his son, Isaac, the first promised born. And now it's gone to Jacob. And so God is reaffirming that in his life. He's saying, I'm going I'm to give to you all these things, to you and your descendants. Look at verse 15. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. So here's a promise for him. He's, he's sneaky, he's a trickster, he's con man, but he gets this assurance from God. And then at the end of verse 15, God says to Jacob, I will not leave you until I have done what I've spoken to you. So God's going to do this work in his life. And God commits clearly to him. But look at Jacob's vow. Go to verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in the way I'm going, the way I'm going, the way I want to go, and give me bread to eat and give me clothes to put on so that I come back to my father's house and then, then, the Lord shall be my God. See the difference there? That's what you're supposed to see. While God promises Jacob unconditional support and love and provision, Jacob's promise to God are all conditional. If you do this, if you provide, if you make me healthy, if you make me wise, if you do these things, then I'll, I'll serve you. I mean, God forbid that any of us would ever think that way about our sovereign God. 
We are his subjects. He can do what he wills in our lives. And we are to be, you know, obedient servants. Lord, yes, sir. And it's hard to suffer, isn't it? Isn't it hard to suffer? You might be suffering now. We all suffer at different levels in different places. It's hard. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. But when I realize that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God has a purpose and a plan, and it's for my good, all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. And so I, I believe that. That's a promise from the Lord. So this is really what's going on. So now as we come here to chapter 29, Jacob is still going to be trying to work stuff out. He's, he's going to, this is really interesting, the beginning of the story, and I'll jump right into it here. Jacob and Haran is what I've entitled these first nine verses. We begin in verse one. So Jacob, he goes on the journey. Remember, he's running from his brother. His brother's going to kill, I'm going to kill you. So his mom says, you better get, leave town because he's going to do it. So he, so he goes to Haran. He's going to find a wife. So Jacob went on this journey, 300 miles north. He came to the land of his people and he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it, for out of the well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth and water the sheep, and then put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. So you have these sheep, and they're all around the well, but it's covered. They can't get to it. So the sheep are waiting. They're waiting for this stone to be taken away so they can have water. And there's these herdsmen are coming in now in the hot midday to get water. And Jacob gets to this well. And Jacob say, says to the shepherds, he says, my brethren, where are you from? And they said, we're from Haran. And then he said, oh, he said, good, I'm almost there. I'm almost home. He said, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, oh, we know him. So Jacob said, well, is he well? And they said, he's well. Oh, and look, his daughter, Rachel, she's coming with some sheep right now. So she's a shepherdess. She's coming into the same well to get water. They're all coming at the same time. Then uh, verse 8, but they said, did I read that? Oh, verse 7. And he said, look, it's still high day. And it's not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and, and go and feed them. Why don't you guys take care of the water? Get, open the well. And I mean, he's kind of bossy. He's kind of manipulative even, even now in his boldness. He said, roll the snow away from the, from the well's mouth and, and water the sheep. Now, verse 9, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, again, Jacob's le, uh, Jacob... Rachel, Rebecca, Jacob, I've got all these names. Uh, Jacob has come to this well. He's running from his brother. He's, he's been on a journey for I don't know how many weeks it takes to go 300 miles, you know, on foot. He's finally got to Haran, and he's asking about his family. This is where his family is from. And so he's asking about them. And when he gets there, it's really interesting he gets to this place, and he finally realizes he's, he doesn't have anything. He has no gift to give his uncle. He's got nothing to, to bargain with. He's powerless, really, so he's going to use his, his wisdom, his mouth. That's how he's always worked that way. And, and that's what he's going to use here. It's really interesting what he does here. But he's a, he's a con man, and now he's going to move into this, this swindling mood here. Notice in verse 10, I've titled this section, A Kiss and a Tear. And it came to pass, 
When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near, and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and cried. Wow, what's going on there? And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebecca's son. You can imagine, she comes in, she's hot and sweaty. She comes up and this guy runs up to her, kisses her, and uh, starts crying in front of her. <laughs> I mean, she goes, who is this guy? What's going on here? So there's, there's a lot going on in this section here, but I believe what we're seeing is Jacob's manipulative behavior here. He's moving into this this mode that he's used to doing, getting his way. He's going to do whatever it takes in this area with these people to, to get his way. Number one, he rushes to Rachel's rescue, rolls up his sleeves, you know, to show his big guns, and he gets the boulder and pulls it out of the way and says, Rachel, come on, here's, here's some water. That's what he's doing here. Like, look at me. Look at, I'm strong. I can do this for you. I, that's what I'm seeing here in this section. And then the stone was kept in that place. And why didn't the other shepherds move it? Well, if you had a, a well of water that was like priceless in the desert, more valuable than an oil rig in Texas, I mean, really valuable. And so the, the owner of that well would have said, okay, you guys can water, but only once a day and only when you all get there because I don't want the water to get evaporated. So when you all get there, open it up, let the sheep you know, water and then put the stone back on so that we don't lose water so the predators don't come in to the water hole. So there's a plan there somewhere. And the, the, the shepherds, the normal shepherds are waiting. They're just waiting for everybody to get there. But Jacob, he just boldly jumps into action and he, you know, shows off his guns, you know, and he rolls the stone away to impress, I believe, to impress her because they told him, the men told him, oh, that's, that's Rachel, that's, that's Laban's daughter, she's coming right now. And so he's like waiting, 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 and then he jumps into action. That's, that's really what I'm seeing here. Now, why didn't the other shepherds do this? Why didn't they jump into action there? Again, it's, there was some kind of... Uh, 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 plan with the owner of that well. But Jacob gets Rachel's attention by doing all this. And you would have thought, you know, when you read this real quickly, you would have thought that he would have taken the time to introduce himself before he kisses her, you know. All this happens really, really quickly. Verse 11, Jacob kissed Rachel, and then he lifted up his voice. So he's not just going, boo-hoo. He's, ah, you know, he's, it, it, this, this word wept, it, it, it's just, you know, it means that he's really going for it. He's, he's really crying out here. And one of the commentators that I, I read, one called him a smooth operator. The other one called him kissing cousins. I, it's, it's just interesting, you know, when you look at this and read it with a little bit of knowledge and background, if you've read this story again, I think you'll see these things. But the qu question is, was the kiss normal? And, and in that part of the world, there's, they do that. They grab and they kiss cheeks. You know, everybody kisses cheeks. Kind of a cool greeting. In the New Testament, the Christians did that. They, you know, Paul says, when you come together, meet each other with a holy kiss. Not an not a emotional kiss, just a holy kiss. But, but this seems like a real emotional kiss because he kisses and then he wails right afterwards. Very interesting, the things that he, he did there. The word wept there, baka in the Hebrew means to well or weep with tears. So he didn't just cry, he really 
He cried out. He wept, and he had tears. Now, we've seen this guy. He's been a mama's boy his whole life. Maybe he's just a real emotional man. Who knows? But he's weeping here again. And then he introduces himself to her as, as, his, as, as her relative. And I think the whole order is just sneaky the way he does it. And instead of going to her first and saying, hey, I'm, I'm your cousin. Um, you remember uh, Abraham left a long time ago and then his brother and you, you're my cousin. And instead of introducing or talking, he just goes kind of a, about the whole thing backwards. Very sneaky, very manipulative. Those are the things he's learned in his life. But uh, anyway, the, the two meet and there's a kiss and there's some tears. And at the end of verse 12, notice what it says there that Rachel just turns and she runs home to tell her dad. So she, I don't know if she liked it. Maybe she did. Maybe she didn't like it. Maybe she was offended. But, but she did hear that he was a relative. And so she turns and runs and goes to tell her dad. Then verse 13, then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and he embraced him and he kissed him and he brought him to his house. So he told Laban, that's Jacob, all of the things. What's going on at home? What's the, with the family? Who's grown up? What are the kids, who, who are the kids born? All the details in the family. Verse 14, and Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. Because of all the things he said, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that, you know, about my sister and all. And so he knows now that he's who he says he is. He says, your bone uh, of my bone and, and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. So for one month, Jacob stays there with Laban, hanging out, you know, talking about the family every day and all the stuff going on. And he's got his eye on Rachel. And, and there's no mention of other sons. So Laban has two girls, but no boys. And I'm sure there's work to be done. And, and I'm sure Jacob pitches in and starts to help. And the home starts to operate kind of smoother because there's another man around and things are going really well. That's, that's really what the scripture's indicating here. He stays with him for that, that month. So Laban, he's excited about his nephew being there. They have this great discussion and they catch up on all the family news and he stays for a while. And then notice my next point here, Laban's deal with Jacob. He makes a deal. So here comes the family trait here, verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? So this indicates that Jacob was active. He was working. He's, he's serving. And it's interesting that Laban would use those terms, serve me and wages. So I think that this is the first indication that Laban, Laban sees that he can get some labor out of this guy. He sees that he's, he's going to get some help from this young man, or this older man. Actually, he's 77 years old. Did you know that? He's 77 years. Now, these people live to, this time, they're still living to 150. So this is, he's at the prime of his life. Not like, don't think, you know, old Pastor Lee. He's, he's at the prime. Of his, he would have been, you know, 35, 40 years old, you know, dog years. No, I mean... They're still living a long period of time. So, so 77, he's still considered young. He's going to marry. Um, there's going to be honeymoon in the, in the uh, chapter this evening. So, but he's there, and he's working. 
He's doing, he's serving Laban. He's, he, and so Laban says, you know, you shouldn't just do this for free. So let's, let's make a deal here. And again, I believe Jacob is looking at Rachel. And Laban knows that, that he likes Rachel. And, and so Jacob names his wages. Rachel. Those, that's, those, those are my wages. And he offers to work for these seven years for her. But here's where we see the family con man. Now it's Laban that's the con man, and he's basically letting Jacob know that, that he'll have to work his keep for seven years. You know, it wasn't just a month, and you can have my daughter. Now you're going to have to work for seven years for my daughter. And, and Laban makes it really clear here. You're going to serve me. You're going to work in my house. So Jacob begins to reap what he's sown. Sound familiar here? He rips off his family. Now he's getting, him, he's get, getting ripped off as well. He's going to be conned. And I believe that Laban has a plan in his mind from this very beginning. Look at verse 16. So Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. And notice this detail. This is Moses writing, right? It's the Holy Spirit that wrote the scriptures. But Moses gets these details. Leah's eyes were delicate. Or you might have the translation in your Bible, weak. It might say weak. Um, I'm, I'm reading out of the New King James, but it says delicate in mine. And then there's a difference in Rachel's. Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. So you have Leah with weak eyes, and you have Rachel who's beautiful from, top, from head to toe, really is what that's saying. Now, if you've ever read this story before, if you've heard it taught, whether it be on the radio or in church by a pastor or, or whatever, uh, listening to it on the a CD, you, you can't help but feel sorry for this woman, right? And especially you women out there. You're thinking right now, you know, poor Leah. You know, she has these sad, weak eyes. And, and you know, when we, we read this, we kind of get this idea, weak eyes. It's, it's actually translated weak eyes. Her name, Leah's name, I almost hesitate to say, but it's, I looked it up and double-checked it, and it means wild cow. <laughs> now, and how could you name your daughter wild cow when they're born? I mean, how would, how would you know? But she's, her name means wild cow, and she has weak eyes. That's, those are the things. And so we, we think of some, you know, when I was in, in school, you know, when, you were, you know, when you're a scrub or you're in fifth grade, you always pick on the the weakest one in the class, you know. And so I got this picture in my brain. Leah comes in, and she's got these big old thick glasses on because she's got weak eyes, and she's kind of stumbling and like olive oil, you know, clumsy. I mean, that's kind of what I see when I read this. You can't see three feet in front of her here. But Rachel, Rachel, the word beautiful there, fair, she's fair. So that's the way Moses described. That's the way the picture is, or the, the story is being portrayed for us. She's the younger, the more beautiful one is younger. I mean, ladies, I, I hate to say it, but that's always the truth, even for us older guys. You know, we used to have youth and vitality and guns, and we thought we were handsome, and we really were average. And then we get older, and we kind of really shrivel up, and, and things change, things change in us. And so that's really what's happening. You have the older daughter, Leah, wild cow, and then you have, you have, sorry, and then you have beautiful 
lovely, <laughs> slender, just a precious jewel, Rachel. That's really what the scripture is saying. Now, verse 18. Jacob loved Rachel. And so he said, now, how did he love her? I think he had lust for her. I think he loved her beauty because the, 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 we're, we're saying he looked at the two daughters. I love her because she's pretty. He, that's what he's saying here. He loved Rachel. So he said, I'm going to serve for seven years. She was that beautiful to him. I'm going to serve for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter, your younger daughter. He makes that very clear, the younger daughter I'm going to marry. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. It's just, you know, huh? Okay, you can stay with me. I mean, he's manipulating this whole story. He's massaging it, making it happen, making it really easy to work. And, and he's not telling this one detail here. We hear it later. But he's not saying, uh, by the way, the custom is you marry the older one. That's really the custom. He, he omits that from the discussion. Keep that in mind. That's really a, an important point here. And he says, well, it'd be better for me to give them to you than someone else. So you can stay. Stay for seven years and, and work for me because, man, things are going really good. Cha-ching, you know, my, my God's blessing. Whenever these men, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whenever they go, God's blessing them. And so here he's got this guy working hard in his house. God's starting to bless. He's got more sheep now. Laban's, Laban's being, he's becoming more and more successful because of this man. There's no doubt that God is, is blessing him. So he says, oh, just go ahead and stay with me. Ha. I mean, he knows exactly what he's doing here. So Jacob has to work seven years for a woman he doesn't even choose, which is interesting. Look at verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. So this just kind of indicates that he really loved her, and, and, and as the years go by, he loves her more and more and more. I can attest to this. You know, when I was a scrub, I, I saw a young lady in church across the room. Boy, was she beautiful. I was just taken by her, and I, I followed her around at church. Then I sat next to her, and I sat closer to her, and and 16, 17 years old. Then I married her. She's right here tonight. <laughs> Saw her, chased her, married her. I, I think I can understand really what he's saying there. I, I love that. Jacob served seven years, and it just seemed like no time at all. He was just so in love that he, he went for it. And, and I love that truth there. So after seven years, Jacob reminds Laban of this deal that they had that they had made. But, but I'm thinking that each one has something else in mind here. Uh, Jacob is looking forward to marrying this young, beautiful woman. Laban, on the other hand, is thinking, you know, I'm going to get this guy for more time, man. I'm, I'm cha-ching. I'm making money, and things are going really well financially for me and my home. So he's got another plan in his mind. And now Jacob was ready for his wedding night. He's all excited about it. He's waited seven years. And I've titled this next point here, Shock at First Light. You know the story. Then Jacob, verse 21, said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in to her. Don't you love the way the Bible's discreet? I love that. Moses, good job. This was Hollywood. It would have been totally twisted. And Laban, verse 22, gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. So here's a wedding feast, a wedding party. How long it lasted, 
You know, in the Middle East, um, we see traditionally a lot of these celebrations that go on for days. It took days for people to finally get there, you know, traveling from... So they start the wedding feast and it goes for days. So that's, I think, the picture that's painted here. But, the, but uh, Laban gathers all these men. There's no men, right, in his home. So these are workers. He's got a bunch of workers now and they all come. And these men, and they have this feast. Verse 23, now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob went in to her. Another discretion sentence there. And Laban gave his maid, Zilpah, to his daughter Leah, his maid. So it came to pass in the morning, first light, that behold, that's, that's an understatement, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? He knows exactly what's happened. The woman that he worked for seven years and loved, Rachel, the beautiful one, is the one he married. But he wakes up in the morning, he rolls over and he says, honey, and he, it's not Rachel, it's, <laughs> I won't say her name again. The weak-eyed one. And, and, and it's really interesting, again, it's, it, it's, it's shocking, I mean, this whole story here. Uh, but he's, he, he's surprised to find that now he's married, that his marriage was consummated now, and he's now married to Leah instead of Rachel, which, again, is shocking even to read the story. But, but uh, Jacob is the deceiver. He's the con man. And now he has been deceived. Um, you know, the world says what goes around comes around. What the Bible says, you reap what you've sown. And that's, that's a principle. It's a biblical principle. It's one that you, you can guarantee you're going to live by that as a believer. You, so, so don't sow. Don't sow junk because it's going to come back up in your life. So don't, don't do that. Learn from that. But Jacob... He storms out of the honeymoon suite here and he confronts his uncle Laban. Again, but my, I have questions about this whenever I read this story and the questions. How was he fooled by this? I mean, think about it. How could you be fooled by that? If, if she was weak-eyed and ugly, I mean, how would, why, why didn't he know that? That wedding night. There's a couple of things that we can maybe guess at, but we're not really told everything. But the one of the things is a bride would be veiled, very heavily veiled until you see the eyes. But see, that's why I think we have that detail about her eyes. Because he, he saw the eyes, and, and the eyes are mentioned, they were weak. And so you would think that even if she, the bride was heavily veiled, that he would see the eyes. And I think that's why that, that detail is in there. Um, this did happen in the dark. So... Laban had worked it all out, planned it all out, so the, the, the whole marriage would be consummated in the dark. And these people would, again, do that as part of the wedding feast in a separate chamber. The bridal chamber was close to the wedding uh, uh, celebration. And they were going in there, and everybody knew they were going to go in there. You know, that was kind of, and, but that was their custom. It was like this, this sealed the deal for them. But it, was, it happened at night, and Laban had arranged all of that. Now, here's another interesting thought. 
Leah and Rachel must have known what their dad was going to do. They were both, I don't know if they were conned or, or maybe just obedient. I mean, a woman didn't have the rights that a woman has in our modern society. She was, she was really uh, under the authority of her father. And so she has to obey her dad. And so there's, there's that going on in this whole picture too, in that culture. The absolute authority over a father and his daughter. But, but again, whoops. I, I just see that in all of these different details here, the, the men at the feast, uh, this week-long celebration, that there's probably, it doesn't say it, but I, I'm going to read through the lines, and I'm just saying I don't know this. I think alcohol's involved in this whole thing. I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you assume that? I think it's. I think it, they're in this feast, and and Laban knows he's just going to sauce him up a little bit, and and then pull a fast one with weak eyes, you know. And it and it worked. It worked. Now, again, he's seventy-seven years old, and so you you think about well, where was he physically? You know, did he have this desire that a young man would? And obviously, I believe he did. He has this strong desire for a wife. He's worked seven years. He's seen her, seen her, seen her. And, and so he's looking forward to that night. So that could be another added distraction there. But again, Moses is so discreet when he shares these details. I love that. But here's, here's the interesting thing. God is, is working in Jacob's life. Jacob is the schemer. Jacob's the con man. And now he gets conned or outwitted by his uncle. And I, I believe that's part of the story here, as well as God is, is taking him through boot camp. He's breaking him down. I mean, that, wouldn't that break you? I mean, think about it. He, he's suffering now in a sense, but he's being broken here. But he blindly and he quickly goes through it all without really checking the details in a sense. And he wakes up the next morning and he has the wrong wife. He's got the, uh, Leah now as his wife. Now, here's an interesting thought. You remember how quickly Esau, his brother, threw away his birthright. And he threw it away for what? He was hungry, right? He, he wanted the stew. He had a physical desire, physical appetite, and he, he just wanted it. So he said, I don't care about my, my birthright. I just want to eat. And he gave it all away. Well, interesting here, Jacob, he acts too quickly because of his physical appetite. Isn't that Interesting. But I love the way Moses, again, is just, just sharing the story. Jacob, he's been conned in this story here. Verse 25 at the end. What is this you have done to me, he asks Laban. Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why have you deceived me? And my answer would be because you're all part of the family. You're a bunch of schemers in this home. But, but a couple of, of obvious parallels between Jacob's deception of Esau and Laban's deception of Jacob here in, in chapter 29. Number one, Jacob deceived his blind father, and now he gets deceived in the dark at night. Number two, Jacob deceived his father, now he's deceived by his bride's father, his uncle, and Jacob cheated his brother out of the, his, right, uh, his firstborn right there, and now he himself gets cheated because of the rights of the firstborn. Because he's married the secondborn, and now he's got to work for the firstborn. 
So it's interesting how all those things kind of show up in this story. Again, that's why I call this, you know, God is working him over. He's in, he's in this boot camp of God. God is whittling him down. He's breaking him down. He's going to make him into the man that God wants him to be. But there's no doubt that Laban, he knew he misled him the whole way here. In verse 26, and Laban said it, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. It, Laban's like, oh, uh, didn't, didn't I give you that detail? Did I, did I forget this important detail that you have to marry the, the firstborn first? Did I forget that? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, you can see it on him here. Jacob, his mom, Rebecca's brother, Laban. It, it just, like brother, like sister. You know, we've seen like father, like son, but now we're seeing the same thing here. And then verse 27, Laban's new deal. We know what it is, but here's what he says, fulfill her week. So Laban says, okay, just, just fulfill the week. In other words, we want to have a child out of this relationship. So you just fulfill your week and then we'll give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. So you can, for one week, you stay here with Leah, and then I'll give you Rachel, but you have to promise to stay and work for me for seven more years. Cha-ching. You know, I, I need you around. I, the blessings are flowing, and I'm doing really good financially, so I, I want to keep you. So Laban has this plan all along, at least I believe he did, conniver, con man. Someone said this, the second seven years Jacob serves Laban is like his postgraduate work in the school of hard knocks. I like that statement there. And Jacob's major was, you reap what you sow. I love reading these guys' comments and thoughts about the scripture. It's so wonderful, so deep. But Laban, he... He is, is through this lie and this deceit that runs through his blood and into his, his family. He gets what he wanted. He, both of his daughters get married, but the whole thing turns out badly for everybody. I mean, can you imagine? First you have Leah. She's rejected by Jacob. I mean, the, the wedding night worked and she wakes up the next morning and he says, you're supposed to be Rachel. I didn't marry you. I didn't I did do this seven years for you. Okay. I mean, can you imagine her, her emotions, her feeling? It breaks her heart. So, so, I mean, everything turns out badly for this, this family. She's rejected. How would you feel if after your week-long honeymoon, your husband married your sister, ladies? And then second, if Rachel looked forward to her marriage to Jacob, and, and I think so, it was kind of awkward on, on her wedding day when her sister took her place because her father twisted everything around. So the whole act of deception, her father put sister against sister, and now there's, there's problems there, and there's problems between husband and two wives, and I mean, it just goes on and on here. And notice verse 28, then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, so he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban, verse 29, gave his maid Billa to his daughter Rachel as a maid. That Jacob, we need those names, Zilpah and Billa, we'll see them later in the story. But then Jacob also went to, into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel, and notice, sadly, more than Leah. 
So he, he preferred to be with her. He loved her more. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Now, here's where at the end of the story that we see kind of God's grace and providence. God, remember, is behind all of this. He's chosen this man. He's going to break him down. And even though Laban does all these bad things, and I don't believe that God caused Laban to do those things. That was Laban. That's, that's all on him. God doesn't cause people to do evil, but God works with us. And the people that are around us, he uses people around us to shape us and mold us and guide us. But here's where we see, in my next point, God's grace and, and providence. Because these additional years that Jacob spends in Haran have kept him from from being murdered by his brother. So it's a good thing that he's there for a while because Esau was going to kill him. And I'm sure the year after or seven years later, he's still mad at him. But he's going to end up being there for 20 years. So by that time, all that goes away. So this, there's one positive out of it. And then Leah, not Rachel, becomes the mother of Judah. So these, now the names of the sons of the tribes of Israel are going to start emerging from this, this man and his family. But it's from Leah his first wife, that Judah, there's four sons that come out of, out of uh, this relationship. There's Judah, and Judah was the one that, if you follow his line, Jesus comes from the line of Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. So Jesus comes from this line, Judah. So Judah's an important character that we'll see over and over. And then Levi is the next son of Leah, and Levi provides the priestly line for Israel. So Levi is a very important person. And then God is using this bad situation. He's going to turn into a, a good thing. Uh, but it always takes time in God's economy. It takes time. But it's Leah in these closing verses that God shows grace to. And I love this. You, know, you can always see grace in the stories these wonderful stories. And these four sons. We see it in verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved... He blessed her. He opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. So she's, he still doesn't love her. He still prefers um, Rachel I mean, she's, she's a woman that's starving for love, but she has these sons. He has therefore given me a son also. I'll call his name Simeon, verse 34. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. The first three sons that were born, she's looking to her husband, to her husband, and he's not really loving her for anything else. There's only one reason that he's loving her. And finally, finally, she praises the Lord. I love that. Things are happening in her life too. This is God's grace. We see God's grace again and again in all these wonderful stories in the Bible. And then it says, therefore, she called his name Judah, then she stopped bearing. So she just had those four children, but those four boys are part of the 12 tribes of Israel. Very important here. So Leah, she's blessed by God. We'll find out later in the story, and I'll just give you a little bit of heads up. But Rachel in the future, she dies at an early age. 
And it's her younger sister that, that it really gets blessed. It's really interesting because she puts her trust in the Lord. I, I love that about her. So, I mean, all those things I said about her, I, oh, Lord, I shouldn't have said those things. But she does, she does love the Lord here, and I, 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 I think that we need to see that. When Leah dies, instead of being buried like Rachel is, Leah is actually buried with Jacob in that same cave, Milkpah, where, where Sarah is buried and Abraham's going to get buried. So she gets that privilege. So she really was a blessed woman, and, and she really was faithful woman. So we have to see her that way. But here in closing, let me just say a couple of things. We have Jacob the swindler, who's just been swindled. Again, that God is providentially working to whittle him down and, and shape and mold him. And then circumstances, uh, God uses circumstances like, like people, in this case, Laban, this liar. And this whole issue of, of, of this man getting married, God uses all of those things to, to mold and to shape and to break uh, Jacob into what God wants him to be. And uh, we should never excuse Laban's sin. He was the con man, but God used him. God used him for his purpose. And we're going to see that he even uses his own daughters for financial gain. In, in chapter 31, uh, you're going to see that they kind of say, Dad, you're, just, you're, you're using us. You're just using us to gain money. And we'll see that in Laban as well as the story goes on. He was, he was a very, very much con man into making money. And in spite of Jacob's spiritual immaturity, God graciously, he gives him this woman that he loved. He loved Rachel. And so God gives him this woman that he loved. And God blesses him with 12 sons and some daughters. We're going to see that in the next chapter. I wasn't really sure what to call the next chapter. I've already read it and kind of started to outline it. Um, but it's all about all these children. Children, there's going to be a lot of children. And so he's 77, but there's going to be a lot of kids for many years here. He's going to have a big family, uh, sons and daughters. And God is blessing Laban throughout this whole process because he's blessing his son, his chosen one, Jacob. Another important point to, uh, to learn. But there's so many things in this chapter that we could kind of spin off on. Uh, I think the main key here is, is that you know, what you reap, or what you sow, pardon me, you'll also reap. We need to be people of prayer. That you, there's never mentioned him praying to God for anything. If God does this for me, if God clothes me and feeds me, then I'll be good to God. I mean, a, a bad plan. There's no mention of that. So we need to learn from that. We need to pray. We need to wait on the Lord. We need to ask God. And then secondly, we need to understand that God is working, and he's working over time. It's going to take... <laughs> 20 years to get him to a place where he can bring him back into the land of Canaan. So as a Christian, you might, I've been a Christian a year, and how come things aren't working? You could talk to some Christians, and they'll tell you, I've been a Christian 40 years, and what I'd like to see happen isn't. But I do have, I, I have all the evidence of God working in my life, and he's faithful. But boy, would I love him to do this one thing he hasn't done yet. Just keep it in prayer, and wait on the Lord, and, and we're all in this God's you know, a place where he's shaping us in his boot camp in a sense. And he's going to mold us and make us just like he's going to work in this man's life. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. And this story that, that we've read before, I, I pray, Lord, that we have learned uh, some valuable lessons about this man, Jacob, and his scheming and how 
It all came back to him. He had sown and sown so many lies and schemes in his life, and it all came back to him. Lord, forgive us and help us to break the pattern or cycle in our own lives of sowing some issue, some, something that we don't even see it as sin. Maybe there's some things in our lives we need to confess as sin. Lord, show us those things. Help us to be prayerful about all things. Help us to see your providential work and hand in, in our lives, shaping and molding us. As we look at Jacob and his life and Jacob and his family as they grow older, and we'll see more of the scheming going on in this family as well, but Lord, I pray we have learned from, from these lessons that we've read tonight. Help us to realize, Lord, that the Christian life is, is not a 100-yard dash, but it's a marathon where we walk day by day. Thank you, God, for your blessings. Thank you for this evening. In Jesus we pray. Amen.